and welcome into the draft day preview edition of sports and the world. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. And thank you for taking time out of your day. Hope all of you are safe and well. And how are you today, my man? Slowly going crazy. It's, uh, yeah, I th- we're on day whatever of the quarantine. And, uh, uh, I think Pornhub and my Xbox are really starting to wonder why I'm hanging around so much. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Like, these guys are a little too, like, like I me. Mean, we get he's here, like, a couple of days. But it's like, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I feel bad for the servers. That's who I, those are the real victims in the situation. But, but I think the same thing with me, with Netflix. Like, Netflix, Netflix is like, you, you're you're watching too much. Like, yeah. like they're not gonna flash and tell you, hey, stop watching. But they're like, I mean, you don't have to watch all of Ozark. You you don't have to. There's time. There's plenty of time. Yeah, I, I you know I did the same thing with uh, I I rewatched uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh I I burned through all seven seasons and then did season one and two of the Mayans in like a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and any other time, it would take us probably months to get through that because we're busy. But like, if there's nothing to do, like, there's only so much re- there's only so much you can do in a day. And 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 on top of that, since you're inside, it kind of reduces what you can do as well. But you can't sleep all day. You can't, you know. So you have to find that balance. But 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 speaking of balance. That's what a lot of NFL teams are looking to do in the draft, trying to balance their rosters and get them even. And and I think, Chris, I don't know if you'll agree or not, I think this draft is very interesting from the perspective of quarterbacks and I think of a lot of def- and defense. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of defensive talent that's going to be coming out of this draft. And there's also – some heavy quarterback talent. Um, now we've had drafts in the past where you get a lot of these kids that were fires in the pan in college come out to the NFL and and just shit the bed. Um, Mitchell Trubisky is a prime example. Um, that, but I, I think with this draft, you got you got three kids coming out. You got Joe Burrow from LSU. Uh, Tua from Alabama, and then Justin Herbert from Oregon. Um, you know, I'm partial to the Pac-12, as you know, um, and many people that listen to this are know and are, are more than aware. But you know what? Um, I was critical of Mariota. Mariota performed. I think it was a circumstantial issue with, with Mariota. Not that, that Pac-12 quarterbacks are any better or any worse. Because you got guys like uh, Aaron Rodgers who came out of Cal who were outright studs in the NFL. Um, but, you know, Justin Herbert, uh, he intrigues me. He he played well. You know, considering the schedule, they don't, they don't play super defensive teams. It's not like they're playing the grind of the SEC, which I know, of course, you know, here comes the hate. Um, you know, they don't play the grind of that. Or even, you know, to a point, uh, the ACC – um, where, where they've got some some stout defenses. Um, but he intrigues me. Tua, uh, question mark being his health. You know, that I think that hip, uh, you know, fracture, I, I think that set his draft stock way down. Um, 
And I also think it altered. Uh, I, I think it truly altered a lot of things. You wonder if Tua never broke his hip, could they have beat LSU? If they would have beat LSU, could they have won a national championship? Uh, you know, and then if Burrow didn't take that that tough loss against uh, an Alabama, could he have just ran through the rest of the season like he did? You know, there's a lot of variables, but either way, to this draft, you know, of course, Burrow's his career is going right to to the Bengals, unfortunately. And maybe short-lived there because we know what happens when all-star collegiate quarterbacks go to bad teams. They don't flourish very well. Um, And then, of course, defensively, you see some studs. You know, you got some studs coming out of the Big Ten uh, that I think will go the first few picks. Uh, And then, of course, uh, you know, the other thing to look at is wideouts. You know, this seems to be a very – I don't know about you – but this seems to be a very deep, deep wide out uh, draft with, with some availability. You know, and then also the other thing we got to look at in this draft is all of the offseason moves, the quarterback shuffle, Bridgewater going to Carolina, uh, Tom Brady going to Tampa. You know, um, you got you, and then you still have wild cards. You still have Cam Newton out there who hasn't picked up a team yet. You have a, uh, uh, you know, boy from, uh, no, I'm having a brain fart, uh, Jameis Winston. You know, you got Jameis Winston, who's essentially been replaced in Tampa. He doesn't have a home yet. So do we have teams that may pick him up and sacrifice a, a, a draft pick in order to get him, to give Tampa an extra pick, uh, or vice versa with Carolina? You know, I mean, what, you know, the, the opportunities are are endless in this draft, and, I've been, you know, we've been doing, since we planned to do the show a few days ago, I've been running through notes up until right now, trying to, to figure some things out, like I'm some type of mastermind, but, uh, you know, so what we have going on, it may be right, it may be wrong, but this is just, mind you, this is just coming out of our little brains before the actual draft happens. Yeah, and and I want to I want to go back to a couple of points you made because you're absolutely right. I think to go back to your wide receiver point, I I read some I read an article I want to say CBS Sports or ESPN that this is a very deep wide receiver draft. So I think it's one of the deeper positions in this draft. I think that if you're certain organizations, and I think our draft boards will reflect that you don't have to necessarily trade up to get a receiver. I think one, I think there's maybe two receivers that I think are worth trading up for, but I think everybody else, I think are slotted in pretty much because of need. So there's no real rush. I think receiver could be a, it's a commodity or a necessity, but for some teams, I think it's more, it's great. You know, I think the old adage I've always said is that, is that it's better to need it and don't have it than have it and don't need, you know, Truth be told, my man, guns, condoms, and players. Exactly. You know that. I think that's the trifecta. And 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 I think and I think I think our draft board reflecting that. So with that, let's just dive into our own. And for the record, we haven't seen each other's boards. We haven't even talked about our boards. So people think, oh, you know, we're copying what like like we're in high school or anything. But so I haven't seen your board. And you haven't seen my board, correct? Factual. All right. So with that, so so for so we'll just go through quickly some we can stop and you know, cause, you know, and, and discuss in greater detail. 
What do you, you want to knock out five at a time? Just make it easy. Absolutely. Yeah, we can do five at a time. I think uh-huh. that makes more. And so for for Cincinnati, so for Cincinnati, I have Joe Burrow going. I think Joe Burrow to me is interesting. I think that is he the best quarterback? Yeah, but I think if Tua was healthier and maybe played against LSU, I think his stock would it would be interesting one A one B. But I think with Joe Burrow, the consensus Joe Burrow could be he could be a lot like NSYNC or he could be a lot like O Town. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it could go one way or the other. Because cause let me tell you, I think that's the kind of career path he's on because Cincinnati and talent is. I mean, it's like Paris Hilton singing. It it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, no, it, 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 it really, yeah, it, it really does. Just just jump in. Um, it this is one hundred percent mission dependent on, uh, on Cincinnati. He can neither do great or he is outright destined to fail. And and that's what I was talking about when you know when we first logged in. Um. There's no no dispute that I think Bur- right now Burrow is the best quarterback going into the draft, but the surrounding cast is the most important thing to a quarterback. You can be a great quarterback, you can be a just a raw physical specimen, but if you don't have the talent around you, you'll never amount to anything. Um, I, and I think living proof of that is Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is a severely, highly talented quarterback, and I, and I don't think that you can argue that. I don't think that I could argue that. I don't think that anybody can. But just his tenure at the Chargers, he never won a Super Bowl. I don't, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I, I, I can't tell you how many playoff wins he has. Probably not a lot, you know. But he, he never had the tools around him. And then you look at quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, who are studs, but they sat and learned under an outright elite quarterback like Brett Favre for a couple years and took over a team that was a complete team that had a defense that had running backs and wideouts and tight ends to throw to and an offensive line to protect them. Um, I think it's, it's what separates the men from the boys and to jump post. Uh, it's like with Tom Brady right now. We're going to see what kind of quarterback Tom Brady is this season. It, you're going to find out whether he was a system quarterback in a in a controlled environment with people that could uh, that people that could do their thing, or is he going to step out of his element and have you know an, an entire different team, a different coaching system, and a different staff working with him? And, you know, I think, Chris, that I think that's a very good point. For the, for the most part, it does boil down to – I remember when they the Bengals – the same Bengals organization drafted Carson Palmer back in, I think, 2000, so almost 20 years ago. And they sat him behind John Kitna. And, and that's one of the smart things Marvin Lewis ever did. He didn't do a lot of smart things. But he sat behind John Kitna. Not saying John Kidna's, he's no Brett Favre, but it speaks to the difference, Chris, I don't know if you agree, of how the pressure of the quarterback position. It's where it was easy for Green Bay to draft a quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, because he felt his value was was brilliant. 
you get him, send him behind Bret Hart because everybody knew that Bret Hart, not Bret Hart, not the wrestler folks, you know, Bret Hart had three years left. So Aaron Rodgers can sit. He's still young, still viable. And he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Carson Palmer sat. He, Carson Palmer may not be borderline Hall of Famer, but he still wasn't a slouch. I think the point is, Chris, is that who you go to matters, but more importantly, how much the team values the quarterback. Because let's face the facts. Some teams just like I think of one coach who didn't like Jeff Fisher at Tennessee. He just did not value the quarterback position. Nope. When, when he was at Tennessee, he had Vince Young. And then he went to he took the job in for the Rams. He didn't value that either. So and he and, and guess what, folks, he lost his job in both. Because if you're not invested in the quarterback position to some degree, you're not going to win. And if you don't have a plan, that's worse. And, and as far as Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers went four and four in the playoffs. And I argue with Philip Rivers is, is that he had talent to some degree. I think Philip Rivers was his own Waterloo a lot of times. I think a lot of times, like, but for the most part, talent matters. And it's, it's a great point you made about Philip Rivers. So hopefully Joe Burrow, you know, you know, he goes from one exotic tiger to uh, uh, <laughs> Carol uh, fucking Baskins. That part. And so so I think we both agree Joe Burrow goes one to Cincinnati. Absolutely. Number two, uh, to me, it's not a no-brainer. Ron Rivera, Washington, you got to get Chase Young. This, this to me, is a slam dunk. To me, he's probably the best overall prospect in the entire draft. Because really? I, I really do. Him and Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. I really like Chase Young. Chase Young is a great edge player. You can play him on the edge. You can play him as a linebacker. He's a versatile player. And in today's NFL, versatility matters, especially on defense. In some plays, like for example, some plays, like on third down, you can leave him in if it's third and 16. You don't have to pull him out and put another guy in. You can, They can play linebacker. Play, and I think it's all about that concept. And Chase Young, you know, in the Big Ten, listen, the Big Ten is not a slouch conference. You know, 20 sacks, that's not that's a number you don't slouch at. And, and I think given what Ron Rivera's track record is defensively and given what Carolina had, Carolina had a guy by the name of Julius Peppers. So if there's one person who knows about defense, it's Ron Rivera, because I believe he coached Julius Peppers. He knows great defensive player. That to me, I don't want to hear, you know, oh, they're going to draft the quarterback. Stop it. Chase Young is the no-brainer slam dunk pick at number two. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Who you got for number three? Number three, I have a little action here. I have a little, you know, trade, and we'll get some trade music in here. I have a trade. I look at Detroit at three. Detroit's sitting there like, we can get the guy who we want with the potential trading partners. So I think they make a trade with the Los Angeles Chargers. I think that they pick up the phone and and swap the swap first-round picks 
potentially maybe a third, you know, a nice package deal to trade up because the Chargers really don't need a lot. So so they can afford a couple of draft picks to go because Detroit, I think the whole state needs draft picks. But the point is, is that to get value, to get players, and I think there, they pick up Tua. I believe that Tua, Tagovailoa, I think is going to the Charger and the, with Detroit with Detroit. I, I think that, and we talked before in our in our, pre, in our meeting. I just think that Tua is the second best quarterback, and people may push back on that. If when Tua was healthy, Tua, let's be honest, Nick Saban changed the way he ran his offense because of Tua. Hundred percent. That wasn't your that wasn't your old Nick Saban pounded with Derrick Henry type offense. That wasn't your old typical pound the ball offense. And he changed his offense for Alabama. Tua changes games. He has talent. His hip, like like you uh, talked, a lot of what ifs. What if he was healthy against LSU? There's a lot of what if factors. Tua is that transformational, I think. He goes to an organization where he can sit. He can sit for maybe two years. It's not going to hurt. I think we, we you got to treat quarterbacks like, you know, first editions. Like, you wouldn't dare go to a store, buy a first edition, open up and read it, or open up and play with like a toy. You preserve it because it has value. That's how you got to treat quarterbacks, in my opinion. But I think we're the two guys that, I guess, we're – thinking that old school philosophy is out of the window because a lot of dudes you throw in the fire get burnt really quickly. Tua, you could sit him. I wouldn't have a problem with it. So who do you, who do you have at three? So for me, uh, my third is we're doing a switcheroo. Like what you discussed with the, with the trade. I think that Miami gets a little old, even though they're picking in front of uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, I think that they give a little to get a little, and they immediately jump up to third and they grab Tua instead. Even though, like I said, it doesn't make a ton of sense because they're already trying to choose, but they're in fear of the Chargers doing the same thing. And I feel that Miami has a little bit more to offer for material to Detroit than uh, than, than what uh, Los Angeles does. So I think Miami swoops in at number three, vice versa for what you're saying, and they'll they'll grab Tua, um, which would of course leave Herbert more than likely, you know, for that that'll be left over. Um, that, same thing. It just makes sense to me, Detroit. I, I think Detroit might pull the, the Cincinnati and just tank this season um, and then just kind of start from scratch next year. Because you got they got some issues in Detroit. Um, you got players that aren't happy. You have uh, uh, Stafford, you know, his back. Was there any clairvoyance about his back injury postseason or, you know, or anything like that? Or have they been kind of tight-lipped about that? I think they've been kind of tight-lipped, but based on the little bits and pieces that I've had read, there is some concern. I think there is some concern within that organization that given his age, and more importantly, 
given how bad that offensive line has been for years, that takes a toll. It's yep. and I think there there's legit concern. I think in that organization after that anger because look how they played after that. It, they didn't have a plan B because it's like the paid Manning effect. Oh, he can play forever, and then when it doesn't happen, they get hurt. You're like, oh crap! You got They had to get Kerry Collins off the plane from Hawaii, and they went like two and fourteen, and that could potentially happen in Detroit. But somewhere down the road, I think they'll get a quarterback. But I think we we agree that I think I think we both agree that the Lions trade down because it just makes a lot of sense because they can get their guy later in the draft. But we just we just juxtaposed the quarterback ideology. If I, if I if I'm reading the room correctly. Absolutely. You got you got the room read well, my man. Uh, well, who do you got for uh, number four? Your, uh, number four for the New York Football Giants. I think this is all about protecting Danny Dimes. I think that that kid that kid got hit a lot. Yeah, <laughs> he got hit a lot, and it was just like a, it was like watching a mouse. It's like watching mice in a in a maze. He was trying to find a way out, and he couldn't. And and in this position, I feel you got to go offensive line. And I really, really like Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. I really like him because the coach Joe Judge. Yeah, I. I'm not gonna get into that either, but but I think Dave Gettleman, the general manager, has to understand. Listen, you went all in with Danny Dimes, so you gotta get you gotta protect him. You gotta you gotta you gotta protect him. There's no two two ways about it. And I think that because of the connection that Joe Judge has with Alabama coaching and on the Alabama staff, I think that Jedrick Wills makes a lot of sense, even though. I don't think he's the best offensive line prospect. That's important. I don't think he's the best prospect, but I think you get him because of familiarity in that order. I think the coach is familiar with him. It's a familiarity. It's a form of acquiescence. So I think Jedrick Wills goes to four to the New York Giants. Okay. So for four for the Giants, I have I have a curveball because – the New York front offices don't always think uh, in the in the sense of, of how they should. Uh, so I think that they're going to try to start building a defense and leave old Danny Dimes out the dry, hopefully to pick up in free agency for uh, people being cut from camp or maybe a trade during the season. I think that the Giants go after Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, outside linebacker. I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's just you know what it it it's just it's like the mo of of the Jets and the Giants is that when they need a a particular position filled, um, they'll just go into another direction for some weird reason, maybe for trade bait. Uh, you know, maybe they, they realize of who they want they might not be able to get, so they scoop him up early to possibly trade him. Uh, or, you know, maybe some other weird, mysterious reasons. Who knows? But I, I think that uh, Isaiah will go forth to the Giants. He was a stud in Clemson. The boy played his ass off. Uh, he, he played when it counted. He made 
the tackles when they counted. Um, he's agile. He's fast. And uh, he's he's a big kid. He's you know six six three and a half, two hundred thirty eight pounds. I think is what they 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 clocked him at the combine. That's a big boy playing that linebacker position. That's only going to get bigger once he gets on that NFL diet. So I think that um, you know we we might see some secondary uh, action building from the, from the uh, the Giants. You know what? I, I'm not even upset at that. I think that's a great pick. Because in a lot of in a lot of mock drafts, I have seen Isaiah I've seen Isaiah Simmons go to four, but you know, and that's not a bad pick at all. I think for the Giants, you really have to screw the pooch to mess up. You can go offensive line or go to Isaiah Simmons. To me, that's the only viable options. If you if you draft literally anybody else. I think you're reaching, not super reach, but you're reaching. But like you say, the Giants and the Jets are kind of like the the New York Knicks. That whole that whole basket, you know, that whole sports in New York. It, you know, I'm not gonna get into the only that. Only thing they get right is baseball, man. Yeah, I, exactly. Like, even like even the Mets, like. Outside of David Wright, who was a good possible, you know, and DeGrom and Sandigan, but baseball is for another day. But, but so at five, so we moved to five, and Miami's there, and I go with I go with Justin Herbert. I I believe in my heart that Justin Herbert benefited from staying in school, and and this is why, because in his junior year. He ran a lot. He was a run-first quarterback. And he understood that, listen, you have to have somewhat of a pocket presence. I think that was the downfall of Marcus Mariota, where Marcus Mariota was just dynamic, but I never saw enough in the pocket, if that makes any sense. I never – and I think that I just never saw enough. Marcus Mariota – I think if Marcus Mariota – and people say it's an Oregon thing – but I don't necessarily think it's an Oregon thing. It's a coaching thing. Because, you know, Mariota was coached under Chip Kelly. And Oregon had Mario Cristobal, who's more of a in-the-trenches type coach. So he just basically told Justin Herbert, hey, play like you play, but play smart. And his numbers improved because of that. And like you say, the Pac-12 defenses, some of them, they weren't slouch. Like Utah's defense is not a slouch. You know, Washington's defense, hmm. But I think that Justin Herbert could potentially be in that situation just like with Tua. Listen, set him. I think that the only way that you start Justin Herbert is if, like I say, if if it's Titanic. I mean, if it's just the season's sinking fast and you got to get fan reassurance, I'd have no problem with that. But don't put him in there to appease fans. You know, in the context of you go in who gives you the best chance to win. That's what it's all about. And I think right now, and this may not be a popular opinion in Miami, I believe that Fitzpatrick right now is the best option for them to win. I really do. Because you saw what Fitzmagic could do. Fitzmagic is kind of, he listen, he's not going to win you a lot of games, but he keeps you in a lot of games. And the way Miami played toward the end of last season you were like, hmm, there's some potential. But we all knew they needed a quarterback. We all knew that. But at the end of the day, you get Justin Herbert. 
I think you sit him, let him learn. It's not the worst thing in the world. So I have Justin Herbert going number five to the Miami Dolphins. So I, I, I see your idea with that. But when it comes to Fitzmagic, it depends which one you get. Are you going to get the 10-6 and six Fitzmagic from the Jets that actually gave us a glimmer of hope in our pathetic existence? Or do you get the Fitz magic that was just chucking interceptions worse than Jameis Winston? You know, it, that's the downfall of Miami. So you, you, you wonder which way the wind blows with old Fitzy boys is where they're going to go as a quarterback. So naturally with me, since I had Miami trading up third to get Tua and swapping with Detroit. So I think Detroit is actually going to, in in their, in their pick at number five, they're going to go cornerback, and they're going to get another Ohio State boy with Jeffrey Okoda. I like they, that. They need help on defense. Well, they just they, like you said, the whole state needs help uh, from from Flint all the way to Ann Arbor. Uh, they need a little bit of everything. Um, I I think that they're going to try to start rebuild. the The problem with Detroit is Detroit puts points on the board. It's just the other team happens to put more. And a quick fix for that is to buff up your secondary. Get some cornerbacks with some hands. Get somebody out there. Get your DBs out there that are aggressive playmakers. You know, he's he's, he's not the tallest. He's 6'1", 205. He's not, he's not going to be a, a, a ball hawk out there just ripping, ripping, you know, pulling a Reggie Nelson, just ripping balls clean out of the air. But I think he can create that pressure to force a receiver out of bounds, just to, to, to stop the bleeding, I guess, to minimize the bleeding. Um, and and then maybe they can just continue on with their draft picks from there. But I, I got the Okuda going at the numero five. Yeah, you know, it's very good. So to, to recap our top five picks so far, we got Burrow to Cincinnati. I have Chase Young to Washington. In a trade, I have Tua to the Chargers in a trade with Detroit. I got Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama to the Giants. And I have Justin Herbert at Miami. So those those are my top five that I have. And then I've got uh, Joe Burrow at number one, Chase Young at number two, uh, Tua at number three. Isaiah Simmons at number four, and then Jeffrey Okuda at number five. Yeah, I, I think I think we're on the same wavelength a lot. I, I, For the most part, yeah. I, I think that the top five is where you'll see a lot of action. And I think if you're Detroit, it's whoever gives you the best offer. Yeah. Whether it be in Miami. It's, it, it boils down to who literally gives you the best offer. Because I, I – go ahead. I, I, I just feel that Miami has more – they got more cards in their pocket to be able to do something that, than what, what Los Angeles does right now. But, that, but like I said, that's just that's just my, my feeling on it. I think that you're right because they do have another – remember in that Mika Fitzpatrick trade, they got the Steelers' first-round pick. So they do have a lot of assets. It's just to me it's a matter of who picks up the phone – and gives Chris Greer the GM, you know, if the the, the GM of the char the uh, excuse me of the Dolphins, Chris Greer, if he picks up the phone first and gets the best deal, then I think I think the top five where you see a lot of 
posturing. So, Absolutely. So now, starting from pick six, pick six I have in that trade with the swapping with the Chargers, I have Jeff Okuda going to the to the to the Lions as well. I think that if you're in Detroit, they lost Darius. I think Darius Slay. I think you lost Darius Slay. You lost him to the Eagles in the trade. You need to get a top corner. And Jeffrey Okuda checks a lot of boxes. I think that he's probably the best overall corner in this draft. There are a lot of good corners in this draft, but not a lot of Jeffrey Okuda's in this draft. Factual. And and I really, really like that selection there for Detroit. Matt Patricia, you know, I think Detroit is in a you got to win situation. And you got to get something right with the fan base. And I think that's how you kind of start to get in the good graces there. So I have Jeffrey Okuda six in the trade in the trade with the Chargers and the Lions pick him up. So uh, on the other side of your coin, I got the the domino effect, of course, with Tua going to the Dolphins. I got Justin Herbert being picked up by uh, Los Angeles. I mean, essentially – I, they're gonna, you know, it, like you said. I think that that whoever can can sweeten the deal for Detroit is gonna get that pick out of them. Um, Detroit knows both of them are desperate for a quarterback, so I mean, honestly, it's it's in Detroit's hand. That that can can play a factor, I think, in in a lot of things for Detroit. Um, but I think that Miami gives them what they want, and then uh, Justin Herbert ends up with the Chargers at number six. That's a very good. I think once, like I said, we're on the same wavelength on that regard. And number seven, the Carolina Panthers. To me, this is one of those slam dunks. If Isaiah Simmons, imagine you're the Panthers right now. You see Isaiah Simmons on the board. You don't. You don't hesitate. You take him. I think, I, especially the absence of Keekly now. Yeah, with no Luke Keekly, which which affected. They were. I think they were going to go defense in this pick. But they didn't expect to get Isaiah Simmons. They thought at this point Isaiah Simmons went off the board, like you say, to the Giants at that point, which is the more which was the more viable option. But I think him falling to Carolina, versatility. He can play in the secondary. He can play linebacker. Isaiah Isaiah Simmons is a legit beast, and I think if you saw some of what he did this season, and for the most part his career. I don't. I don't need to tell ACC. I don't need to tell Wake Forest about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to tell Wake Forest or Duke or. I don't, they already know what we both know. So I think Carolina gets a steal at seven with Isaiah Simmons. I uh. So I got them the Panthers at number seven as well. Not they're not getting rid of their picks or anything like that. I also think that they're going defensive as well. But I think they put their nose to the ground and where every defense starts, and that's at the tackle position. And I think they go after Derek Brown from Auburn. He's a big boy, 6'4 and a half, 326 pounds. He's tall. He's big. He's also agile. And and like you said, you don't have to remind teams of, of what this boy he, – he created some havoc in a lot of games. Uh, I, I remember the Iron Bowl between <laughs> – Auburn and Bama and uh, Brown was Brown was there just causing all all sorts of problems and stirring all sorts of shit ever anywhere he could. 
Um, I think he'll be a good fit in that defensive line for uh, Carolina. Um, I do like your idea, but like I said, he, I already got the Simmons going to the Giants on their weird pick. So at seven, Derek Brown, uh, defensive tackle from Auburn. Good, good. That's a good sound pick. Now, number eight, this is where one of my great trades, whatever music you want to use. I think this is a – if you're the Arizona Cardinals at eight, I think that there's a lot of options. There's a lot of options available on my board. But I think they trade this pick and they trade down because they don't need a receiver. They got DeAndre Hopkins. And like I talked about at the top, very it's very deep receiver draft. You don't have to really – you know, for the Arizona Cardinals, it's more of a – commodity not a necessity if they have if, if they can get a receiver here great but i don't think that they said if you can get more picks in this draft hey more you know you get the right deal and i think the one team and chris let me tell you i had to sleep on this to think about this and rationalize this there's a team that's going to trade up the atlanta falcons are going to trade up <laughs> Okay. Okay. They they gotta trade up because listen, this is this is not coming from this is me the fan for about a minute here, folks. Me the fan says, folks, our secondary makes Swiss cheese look like a solid block of cheese. So figure that analogy out. We need secondary. I'm looking at the board, and I say, if this happens, I might go to the store and buy some champagne or some wine and pop it open. Number eight, C.J. Henderson from Florida. Okay. All right. All right. And this is why, Chris, our secondary is terrible. Yeah, I I didn't want to be the one to say it, but yeah. Listen, buddy, (laughs) listen, you you don't have to tell me, buddy. (laughs) Listen, I've, I've seen too many Falcon games with me either cursing or breaking something that I had to replace. So CJ Henderson to me after Okuda is the best corner on the board. Absolutely. I don't think that if I don't think I have to sell you on it. I don't have to sell the listeners on it. He's the he's the second best corner in this draft. And I think and and I absolutely think that if you're the Atlanta Falcons, if you're Thomas Dimitrio, and if you're listening to me right now, I'm a longtime Falcons fan. You need to pick up the phone. Don't don't call Domino's. Don't call Pizza Hut. You need to call Steve Kime in Arizona. Get it done. Because Chris, they need to do what they did to get Julio Jones. Remember, they traded up. They traded, you know, the farm for Julio Jones offensively. And look how great that turned out. Look how great that turned out. So I think that CJ Henderson. It's worth the same concept because at the end of the day, Chris, you got to get secondary, period. I think that they trade up. They trade swap places with Arizona, 16th all the way up to eight. Go get C.J. Henderson because if you're Dan Quinn, you're going to be just – listen, you don't want to be looking for a job in 2021. You better get it done. Get it done. That's that's a very, very – very bold trade idea that that one you know i i actually had that 
jotted down in, in my chicken scratch of a shit show notepad here. Um, that that was an idea of mine. Is that we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see CJ get bumped because Atlanta is the next team that truly needs uh, a corner. And CJ Henderson, again, like you said, uh, I think that he, again, is uh, very close to being the best. I think the one thing that uh, CJ Henderson lacks over uh, every, you know, some of the others that are going in for corner, uh, like Okuda, he's a little bit on the shorter side for a DB. He's only six foot, mm-hmm. but the boy can jump. He's fast. He's agile. The also the thing that a lot of people forget about C.J. Henderson too, I think he can hit. Yeah, he can hit. I've seen him lay that boomstick on some people that were way oversized, and he he knocked them down like a pile of rocks. But I think on my board and in my little weird brain. I think that Arizona does not do that. Hmm. I think Arizona, Arizona understands that Kyler Murray is their franchise. Kyler Murray has so much untapped potential. But the problem is, is as fast as he could scramble around that backfield, it doesn't matter if you're going to get hit and obliterated and end up like RG3 and just be a relic of the past on somebody's draft board and fantasy football team when they're like, well, that was cool while it lasted. I think that they they understand that they have to protect Kyler Murray. So by doing so and in, in, in protecting him, they draft Tristan Wirfs or Wirfs or however you might pronounce it. If I'm, if I'm butchering it, I do apologize. But they're going to grab that big old boy out of Iowa uh, for an offensive tackle position. They need to protect him. What a better way than, than to, to draft some high-end quality farm boy, corn-fed Big Ten boy. Uh, Iowa has produced some great offensive linemen over the time, and I, I don't think that this will be any different. Um, but, and, but I don't think that they're going to sacrifice Kyler Murray's uh, security and safety over trying to give up a pick, unless if Atlanta offers them something just outright phenomenal. Because if you look at the draft board and the available candidates, there's a lot of offensive tackles that are available. Mm-hmm. I got a few of them going, the high-end ones going before that that number 16 pick that they could potentially transfer uh, from Atlanta. So I think they keep it out of the necessity to keep Kyler Murray in one piece for a whole season. And I think that at number eight, Arizona keeps it. They go with Tristan Wirfs, uh, offensive tackle from Iowa. You know, uh, you know, I, I I love that pick because I think that I, I see your logic. I really do. But I think if someone offers you, I think Atlanta – and this is not coming from the fan. This is coming from, look, they have a history of trading up. So they traded the farm to get Julio. And Julio is possibly on his way to Canton whenever he decides to retire. I think they need that player in the secondary. Because I think the last, the best secondary player we ever had, and this may be a stretch for some people, and I could be wrong and 
You can send me all your stuff later. You, I think you know Ray Buchanan. That's a twenty year. We need a we need a corner. We need help. And I think C.J. Henderson, like you say, he's physical. What he lacks in size, he makes up in physicality. So I think if you're Dan Quinn, you want to build, you want to be physical. I think that makes sense. But also getting Tristan Weir from Iowa, history of Iowa, Kurt Ferentz, the way that they play offensive, that makes a lot of sense as well. And so who do you have going number nine to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Or will it be the Jacksonville Jaguars pick? So number nine, again, this is another offensive tackle. Uh, the Jaguars' biggest problem, whether it was Nick Foles or uh, it was um, oh, what's his face from UCF, I'm having so many brain farts today. Blake Bortles, whether it was him, whether it was Minshew or whoever is at the helm at Jacksonville, problem one is protection. Protecting the quarterback has not been a strong suit of Jacksonville over the past couple of years. And it has only degraded and gotten worse and worse and worse. So I think that Jacksonville keeps their pick. Uh, they pick up uh, Jedrick Wills, offensive tackle from Alabama. Same thing. He's a big boy. 6'4", 300-plus pounds. Uh, he, he protected Tua well. He protected uh, Hurts well. He he did his job uh, as being the, the, the keeper of... Uh, the keeper of the linebackers, I guess we could call him, keeping him out of there. Uh, he did a great job protecting at Alabama. I don't expect any less going into the pros. But I think Jacksonville's in the same boat as Arizona, and they understand that they need to protect their quarterback if they're going to do anything in today's world. And I, I think that's why they keep their pick. So number nine, Jacksonville Jaguars, Jedrick Wills, a tackle from Alabama. Yeah, I like that pick. I really do. Because Gardner Minshew needs all the help he can get. Those those jean shorts can only do so much. <laughs> and so, hey, folks, they don't make you run. So, my, my number nine, I think Jacksonville goes defense. And, and I think they look at the board. They look at what I talked about earlier. It look, you know, how deep a position is. I don't think defensive line is very deep. I may think the edge position's deep, but I think for Jacksonville, they got to find a way to keep that defense. Because listen, they got rid of Calais Campbell. They let him go. They, they traded Marcel Darius the year before. They are they are literally breaking apart that defense. And they and in this draft is the perfect draft to do it. While I get the need for offensive line, which hint, I think they'll address it later. That's a spoiler, folks. I think here you get Derek Brown from Auburn. And and I think, Chris, you encapsulate it all. Go watch that Iron Bowl. Go watch that game. Derek Brown, if, if, if he didn't prove to you that he was a top 10 pick in this draft, that I can't help you. I really can't. I think he falls because of need. I think he falls because Isaiah Simmons falls. But I think Derrick Brown at 10, you can't let him pass up. I'm not going to say it's kind of like the, you know, I'm not going to say it's in that in that vein. But if you can grab him, I think if you're Jacksonville, it's about getting the best players on the board. And I think Derrick Brown on my board is the best player available. So I think Jacksonville snatches him up. 
at number nine. So now we go to number 10 and we go with my favorite team, depending who you talk to, the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Listen, I stand, folks, I stand by every single thing I said. So I preferred Akron anyway. So at number 10, Chris, with Cleveland, Cleveland's a very interesting situation here. So what do you see the Cleveland Browns doing at 10? Cleveland Browns are going to keep their pick at number 10. Uh, no, no fanciness, no trickery. They are going to be on the same mindset that I have Arizona and Jacksonville. They're going to protect Baker Mayfield. He has potential. As much as he annoys me and as much as as his attitude is his own worst enemy, he has talent and he has capability. But he needs protection, and I think this is where he gets it from. I think that Cleveland will pick up the offensive tackle from Louisville, Mekhi Becton, Becton, excuse me, from uh, from Louisville. He's six seven. The boy's huge, three hundred sixty four pounds. That's that's essentially like putting a uh, a gun safe on your offensive line and asking someone to push it over when it's bolted to the ground. Um, the he's big, he's fast. He did great in in Louisville. Um, that's again, I think the next best offensive lineman that's going to be available at number 10. Um, so I, I think that's where Cleveland's going to go. Good pick. Here's the thing with Cleveland. As much as I rag him and, and heaven knows I did all last year. Cause folks, I told you so. I told you so folks. Listen, in the same vein, Chris told me about Michigan. America, I told you about Cleveland. Don't buy your stock in Cleveland. It's like buying your stocks in DeLoreans. I told you it wasn't going to work. Told you. But anyway, now that I cleared that 30 seconds up. I think Cleveland here looks at the board, Chris. It's about value. There's new management there. Again, I think they trade this pick. Really? I think that they need picks. I think that they look at the board and while I do think Makai Beckin is a great player, I and and he he's gonna be drafted very soon on my board. But I think right here, he's gonna get a phone call from a legend. He's gonna get a phone call from John Elway in Denver. And I think, and I think that if you're Cleveland, you take that call. And I think at number ten, because I've read too many things about this. And I believe it. Usually things that you read, you don't believe, but I believe it, and I'll explain why. I think they get Jerry Judy. I think that Jerry Judy is the guy you have to trade up for, and I think that's what Denver does, and they get Jerry Judy. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and say Drew Locke is the answer, Chris. I'm not going to sit here and say that. Don't tell Derek I said that. I don't think Drew Locke's the answer, but it's a lot better than Brock Eisweiler was. So – so take that for the grain of salt you want to take it, folks. I think that they lost a lot of great receivers over the years in Denver. Demarius Thomas. You know, Cortland, you know, that, that receiving core looks bad. It looks bad. I think Palm Bay High's receiving core is better than the, the Denver Broncos receiving core. Jeez. So, 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 and you can look it up, folks. I'm like, 
John Elway understands. I think he's in a not win now, but he has to get this right. Because Vic Fangio probably wanted to go offensive line. Because that's the mindset. But I think Jerry Judy is the player you don't pass up. He's bad. I think he's the best, probably the best receiver in this draft. And you look at the teams that are there, kind of, I, I could see a scenario where another team could trade up. But I think understanding Denver needs a receiver because by the time at Cleveland's, by the time they get to their own pick, he may not even be there. So I'm going to go with Jerry Judy going to the Denver Broncos because they need help. Because I do believe that Denver's not going to draft a quarterback. I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback. I think they're going to go receiver. So I got Jerry Judy at 10. Okay, okay, okay. I can go with that. Um, it makes sense. It, it in the in the grand scheme of things, it actually makes sense. Um, it kind of fits both teams' potential needs. But like I said, I I'm still sold on that uh, that Cleveland's going to try to protect their own before they start giving the house away. Um, at number eleven, so. The old faithful, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Um, we got rid of Robbie Anderson. What a mistake that was. Um, we really don't have a tight end that can stay healthy. I think that'll be solved by the end of this week, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. Um, I think we're going to see a new tight end emerge from an NFC team that I think we will trade for. Well, they will trade us for. Let's put it that way. Um, but in the draft, I predict that number 11, New York Jets, will choose Jerry Judy, wide receiver from Alabama. So on my draft board, of course, he's still available. And, of course, pending that um, you know Cleveland doesn't do what, what you say and actually go after him, I think that Judy will... Uh, will be the new Jets' uh, offensive weapon. So they have Anunwa, and yeah, that's really it. And Anunwa is really not even that healthy. Uh, Robbie Anderson was their go-to guy. Um, I understood why he left. I, As much as it pains me and it sucks, I understand why. You want to go to a team where you actually stand a chance of doing something. Um, you have an already developed Teddy Bridgewater quarterback. You've got Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. You have an offensive line that actually protects and allows McCaffrey to open lanes up and be able to run. I think that was proven um, this year. And I, it, if you don't believe any of that, just look at the uh, any of the fantasy games where I was lined up against Sladarius and I smacked his ass by 20-plus points because of Christian McCaffrey. For the record, folks, you don't, you. You, you don't have to do that, folks. Ah. You can go watch Netflix or Hulu. You don't have to do that, folks. Uh, you don't have But number 11, New York Jets go after Jerry Judy, wide receiver, Alabama. You know, I uh, I think that's good. You know, for the Jets, this was a matter of one of two things. It was either receiver or offensive line. Yeah. I, I think that – and I – and given that I Jerry Judy a pick before, because I do believe that that the Denver Broncos beat the Jets to the phone with another team 
to trade up to get because I think they sensed that this was, you know, get receiver time. But I think the Jets stay put and they go offensive line, they get Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Andrew Thomas okay. to okay. I, I think Andrew Thomas to me, he's probably maybe the he's the second best offensive I think if you're the Jets, it's about getting the best play, offensive tackle on the board where you don't have to reach. And I think that Andrew, you gotta protect Sam Darnold. I think that if you're if you're Adam Gates right now, it's all about protecting and surrounding Sam Darnold with talent. Because statistically, the defense wasn't really that bad. It wasn't that bad. It was just the fact that they could not move the ball forward yep. as the game permits you to do. Because, you know, when you have Jamal Adams, and I don't know what's going on there in that situation. So can I chip in on my two cents on that? Sure, go ahead. So – and so I'm in agreement with you that the Jets have two options, linebacker or excuse me, offensive line or receiver. Um, I think that, of course, you now naturally they go receiver, according to my pick, even though they need an offensive lineman. But I think they pick one of those up again um, uh, post preseason or, you know, somewhere's right around there. You're going to get some guys that were good, but maybe don't fit that team scheme that the Jets might be able to pick up for super cheap. Now, with Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams and the New York Jets front office, it's I think it's very clear that they don't get along. I think you can see that. I think I can see that. I think that um, anybody that isn't Helen Keller can, can actually see that. Um, I, you know, I really thought that the Cowboys – we're going to go after him. But I think that before this is all said and done, he trades in his black and green and puts on pewter and scarlet and goes down to Tampa Bay. Hmm. Tampa Bay needs a safety. I think there's no question about that. Yeah. No, no, no arguments here. No arguments here. There's also no question that I think Jamal Adams, not just because he's a jet, I think he's probably one of the best safeties in the NFL. Yeah, yeah he's in my top five. Yeah, without quite, he's he, in my top five. He doesn't get along with the front office. Uh, he doesn't, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going on with, with the Jets, with their, their, their front office. But, uh, you know, the GM, Joe Douglas, he, he says he wants Jamal Adams to be a Jet for life, but then you hear all these sidebar conversations, you know, with, with Adams and him or with, with Joe and, and other members of management and the team, and you get a different vibe. I think that it it's to the point where we're almost at borderline that Scottie Pippen 97 Bulls where he knows he's not wanted, so he's just like, fuck it, get me out of here. Yeah. I think that he goes down to Tampa, and in exchange, Tampa dumps O.J. Howard. Hmm. Especially now, they have Cameron Bray, and now they have Rob freaking Gronkowski. Really let that sink in for a second. You have Tom Brady with 
a receiver that already understands him front and back, that knows his timing, knows his rhythm. That's one of the hardest things when 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 quarterbacks trade to different teams is that they look good when they're with if you take Matt Ryan, he him and Julio Jones are are bread and butter, peanut butter and jelly. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers and hell, literally anybody he's, he's thrown to. Jordy Nelson, you know, they were bread and butter. Um, you look at, you know, uh, and, and, you know, the list, I, I can literally sit here and, and go on for an hour. Um, so Tom Brady now has that immediate dump off with Gronkowski that he's had for the better part of six or seven years however long that, that Gronk has been in the NFL, along with a plethora of receivers like Godwin and Mike Evans and also Cameron Brate's got some hands on him too. Uh, I think that they're going to dump uh, O.J. Howard. The Jets need a tight end. That's absolutely uh, prevalent. Uh, but they're not going to give Jamal Adams up for a hot dog cart and an, and an eighth-round draft pick. Um you're going to see that someone's going to have to pay the uh, pay the troll toll. And I think that's what they do here is that it, 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 after the draft, you're going to see some movements like that. But I, I honestly see Jamal Adams heading down to Tampa, taking his talents to the uh, to the Sunshine State. You know, I, I, I like that, but I have a follow up question for you. And it's a two parter. I'll make it quick. Now, in the whole Jets front office and Jamal F situation. Who do you blame more? Who who do you side with in that situation? Just just based on the fact of me being a Jets fan, I'm going to say the front office. You know, you look at some of the stars. So number 1, Adam Gase comes in and just immediately starts shit talking. Le'Veon Bell. I wouldn't have ever got him. I wouldn't have done that. I would like why? Literally, why? Like you just spent a hundred plus million dollars on this guy. Why the hell are you already gonna start bashing this dude when he's definitely a, a a top three running back? I think in the NFL. You know, um, why do that? You know, and then when if you think back when McCagnan was was you know, hunkering around. He just, he picked fights with everybody. He picked fights with, uh, uh, Cromartie. He picked fights with, uh, Revis. That's one of the big reasons Revis wanted to leave. And he went to the Patriots for a little bit. It's just the, the Jets bring in this talent and a, they don't know what to do with it. And B, they just, I think they just badger them and just, they, they have no control you got you got to have some form of control in the locker room, but you can't rule like an authoritarian. It's it's like you you can be their friend, but you still got to be their parent at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And they don't even bother trying to be their friend. They're they're in there like it's Nazi Germany. And and I think that's where a lot look. I mean, prime example, you have a quarterback making millions of dollars a year that owed six hundred bucks to an offensive lineman. Gets his face punched and breaks his fucking jaw before the season starts. I mean, you know, like that's something you would read in like a comic book or like maybe one of those Belcher Report um, animated uh, skits or something like that. But no, instead that was real life in the Jets locker room. 
and Geno Smith gets punched in the face over like 600 bucks, literally 600 bucks. Now, 600 bucks to you, 600 bucks to me, that's a fair amount of coin. Mm -hmm. 600 bucks and you're making a million dollars a year. That's like me pulling 20 bucks out, folding it into a paper airplane and throwing it at a hooker. Like it's not, it's not, it's not that much. You know, and for that to happen, that's why I blame the Jets' office. They just don't have control, but and then they also just don't respect their players, I think, in a lot of ways. And it shows, because there, there has been some serious talent that they have let out of there. Brandon Marshall, Darrell Rivas, Antonio Cromarde, um, you know, uh, Robbie Anderson. You know, it's just, I, I 100% think it's an office problem. You, you know... When when I think of the Jets front office, it's it's very very reminiscent of how I kind of uh, how I really feel about two to a certain degree two organizations in basketball. First of all, the Knicks, and secondly, the Orlando Magic. And and I'll, I'll explain. I think the Knicks one is pretty obvious. I don't I don't have to explain that because Jalen Rose was still getting paid and he and he was wearing ESPN. So I don't explain to you why I feel that's bad. But here's why I say that the Orlando Magic, how I compare. When in a situation similar to the situation, when star player, Jamal Adams is a star player, there's no doubt about that. In the situation where Dwight Howard wanted out of Orlando. I don't know if you recall that situation. Oh yeah, no, I do. Dwight Howard wanted out. He wanted out. But what did management want to do? Oh, we love Dwight. They made Dwight look like a clown by having him cozying up to Stan Van Grumpy. I'm sorry, Van Gundy. And it looked awful. It looked awful. And and the comparison is simply this. The Magic have had talent come into the organization and let it go. They let the situation devolve to the point where they get nothing of value or to the point where they just try to work it out and they leave on their own. Think about this, Chris. The Orlando Magic had, if I if I were to tell you, they had Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, they had Tracy McGrady walk to the organization. What if I told you that they don't have a championship or they've been to one finals? And got spanked by the Lakers. Yeah, no, I. That's what happened. I I don't I don't disagree with you at all in that. The game with spaghetti. I I I think that uh, I think with that you're you're 100 percent right. And we're just gonna we're just gonna have to see what happens. And and I hope with that situation I I think that I like you real quick I I, I side with Jamal Adams because listen. As a fan, I've seen the Jets organization, and this this may be, and I don't know if you agree with this, but we move on. It is that realistically, if Todd Bowles had a quarterback, he'd still have a job in New York. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, Todd Bowles was not fired because he was a terrible coach. He was he was getting fired. He was getting simply fired because they didn't have a quarterback. Simple. Yeah. And so one of the things is, is that I think that with the Jets, it's about dysfunction. And so that's why I say I side with Jamal Adams in that situation. 
So, so with that being said, let's move on to 12, where the newly Las Vegas Raiders are are on the clock. So who do you have going to the Raiders? All right, so number 12 to the Las Vegas Raiders. I got C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. Um, again, they're in need of somebody to throw to. Um, they don't have, especially with Amari Cooper being gone and him having a second coming of Christ with uh, with Dallas, uh, they need someone that could possibly do that. Uh, C.D. Lamb, he's 6'1", buck 98. Not the biggest receiver, but he's agile. He knows how to turn. He knows how to cut. Um, he looks like there's potential there. So I see uh, the old Vegas Raiders picking up C.D. Lamb. You know, ironically enough, Chris, I agree. I, I think that it makes sense because after Jerry Judy, I think C.D. Lamb's the next best receiver. When I think of the Raiders organization as a whole, whether in L.A., Oakland, and now Vegas, they're about speed, and they love – receivers they love talented receivers and i think as much as if i as if i if i uh i can't describe it i will say disdain for john gruden but i i understand the process and losing amara cooper really really didn't help but he knew down the road in this draft he can get a receiver and i'm not saying cd lamb's going to be amari cooper if that makes any sense but he he could be very close yeah. trajectory wise and so i agree with you with cd lamb at number 12 so now 13 is a very 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 interesting situation so who do you have going 13 so 13th like you said this this one's an interesting one um so san francisco acquired this uh this pick from Indianapolis, if I'm correct, right? Correct. In the yeah, DeForest Buckner trade, yes. Yep. Okay. So I think that San Francisco adds another target for Jimmy G to throw to. I think San Francisco's a very complete team, offense, defense, special teams. I think they just got outplayed by Kansas City, but I think that Kansas City's just a whole other breed of 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 animal. Um I think that San Francisco goes with a receiver by the name of Henry Ruggs III from Alabama as their pick. Um, he proved himself at Bama. Uh, he, he played well. He played tough. Um, he, he's got explosive speed. He's, he's got a great vision. He's got great timing, you know. Uh, and I think with a quarterback like Jimmy G, I think this only makes San Francisco an even tougher team out west to to go after and and play especially the nfc out there that's getting to be a very competitive uh market out there so i think that san fran goes with henry ruggs just to just to, to put just to put another gun in the uh, in the waistband you know you no know, arguments here chris but once again i agree and and this is why they i don't think emmanuel sanders is back i don't think he's coming back they need to complement they need receivers like Jimmy G like for the most part, this team got their own defense. Let's just face the reality because if you can win a playoff game, Chris, because it's like one of those ESPN 30 for 30s. Like, what if I told you, like, what if I told you that Jimmy G won a playoff game and he only threw the ball 10 less than 10 times? 
Like, what, what if I told you that you wouldn't believe it? You wouldn't believe it. So Kyle Shanahan, who I know is very, very good offensively, because from Atlanta, he goes, and I think Henry Ruggs III makes sense to compliment Debo Samuel. Because you need somebody who can go across the middle just as much as you need somebody to, to, to play vertical. You need complementary receivers. And I think that if you're San Francisco, I think this is probably, to me, it'd probably be a steal. Because, and that's why I say it's very smart to trade DeForest Buckner. Because a lot of people feel, oh, they got to replace DeForest Buckner. But like I said earlier, there are a lot of great edge players in this draft. So once again, you're not in a rush. If you're John Lynch, who I think is one of the better general managers in this in the league, you understand value. Remember what I said earlier, Chris? Getting the best player on the board? Yep. That's Henry Ruggs. Okay. So I think Henry Ruggs there at San Francisco, there at 13, makes a lot of sense. So who do you have going to the, I don't know if it's the Tom Brady Buccaneers or the Tampa Bay Bucks. <laughs> but who do you have going 14? So number 14 to Tampa Bay. I have Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle from Georgia. Um they're going to need that gun safe to protect Brady. Um, that is an outright necessity. Brady is not mobile. I think that was proven in a Super Bowl and in a playoff game. Uh, he runs kind of like a giraffe on ice. Um, and that that NFC <laughs> South division, you've got you've got some some miserable teams defensively. You've got Carolina. You've got. Uh, New Orleans, you've got Atlanta. Maybe not so much Atlanta, but I, I was trying to help you, man. Hey, don't worry but, about it. I, I get it. I get it. But I, I see them picking up Andrew Thomas. Like you said, the best thing that you can get at in, in your position in line. Sometimes when you're at the deli, someone might get the last chunk of the uh, uh, of the boar's head uh, rare roast beef, so you might have to go down to the Publix brand. Um, Andrew Thomas, I'm not saying he's the Publix brand, but you know, I don't think he's as stellar as some of the other boys that I've already pinned on the ladder in that, that six, seven, and eight position. Uh, but I think number 14, uh, Andrew Thomas, Georgia, offensive tackle goes to Tampa. Very very sound pick. I also went offensive line because Tom Brady needs all the help he can give. I think you and I are still maybe, at the same. Maybe more you. I'm, I, I'm not built to uh, for an offensive line. Yeah, yeah, I, I could play a little old line, yeah. You put you put a nice sandwich in front of me. I'll protect that sandwich. <laughs> so I'll protect Chick Fil A. I'll protect. Listen, folks, if you're listening, I'll protect your foods. So think about that. But going back to Tampa, I I went offensive line and I got Makai Beckton from Louisville because I felt that Andrew Thomas was the better prospect. Ergo, I had him go to a team who I felt needed him in the Jets. Here's the thing. This is all about. Tom Brady and protecting him because did you folks like Jameis may have had 30 interceptions but did you see how many times he got knocked down yeah and unlike that Chumba Woman song sometimes he didn't get up again so so think about that so he got knocked down and sometimes he didn't get up again or not as fast and Tom Brady Tom Brady's 42 and let's face the facts. What made New England great was that offensive line. Don't let don't let Tom Brady's great and all, but 
let's face the facts. Some groups are great because of one person. Some things or organizations are built. They're all great. Everybody's great. But one or two factors push it over the top. For the New England Patriots, it was the offensive line. And having Dante Scarshania, I think I, I'm butchering the coach's name who retired. They bring on a retirement and coach that offensive line because that's how good that Patriots offensive line was. And I think here in Tampa, if you're right now, you're Bruce Arians, you went all in on Tom Brady. Let's face the facts. You basically took your cards, you looked at your hand, and you had, you had to go all in. This is about protecting Tom Brady. This is all about building to win now. It's about winning now. There's no, oh, two years. No, you got to win now, within two years. So you kind of have to be kind of like the Warriors dynasty, but a little bit faster. If that if that analogy makes any sense. You no, gotta, no it, it definitely does. You got to put that in a microwave and make it faster. So I think Makai Becton goes to the Tom Brady or, of what I've been told, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> so now, on my board at 15, I had I had Cleveland, if you remember that trade I made with Denver. Yeah. But your number 15, I believe you still have Denver there. I still, got, have, I still got Denver on the block. Now, I think that this will kind of coincide with actually and revolves to your trade. I think that Denver starts to build on the defensive front. Um, the division they're in, they've got fast receivers. They've got big receivers. They're going to need someone that's fast and that can hit hard. Number 15, our boy from Florida, C.J. Henderson, goes to Denver. Ooh. Derek will be happy to add a Gator to his roster. He should be. Uh, argue, like I said, arguably, I mean, he's the second best uh uh, corner in the draft, very borderline first. Uh, again, he's just a little on the smaller side, but the man can lay the hit stick down. The one thing that I think where where Henderson is going to excel with Denver is Denver's got some really cool and unique uh, blitz packages. There, there are some of their defensive blitzing schemes are very intuitive, and it's a lot of moving parts. It's like that game Mousetrap. You remember playing that board game as a kid? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Th- that's what Denver's. There some of their blitz packages. There's just there's a lot of moving parts, but when it works, Jesus H Christ, it works great. Henderson can bring that. I think you you and I can remember many a games where Henderson would be literally out in safety zone, and by the time the ball snapped, he's already got an opening push through him for the A gap or B gap, and he's already wailing on the quarterback or if they did it like an RPO and they pitched it off to the, the, the running back, he was already in the backfield making the tackle. Um, I can, I can fondly remember, uh, what game did I go to last year? Uh, or the year before, excuse me. It wasn't the, the Florida, Florida state game last year. I want to say it was like New Mexico. It was their gimme game last season before, uh, the Florida state game when they played in Tallahassee, but here and there, so I was I was sitting uh, essentially field side, and I mean you, you know I got some pretty decent seats at the swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Henderson literally fly. The, the the quarterback looked over to to his right, signaling his wideout, 
and just completely came back to center, lost track of Henderson. He was already making his move. That ball got snapped as a shotgun formation, and Henderson just drilled him. You know, so he he can make the plays, or he can come from that safety up top. And as if if that if that running back breaks containment and gets through the line, he's going to hit him in the secondary. He's a very aggressive player. I think he'll do well in Denver scheme, uh, but I think he'll he'll go to uh, the Denver Broncos. C.J. Henderson. You know, I think everything that you said is true, especially especially given Vic Fangio. And if you remember when he was the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, look how he used Khalil Mack. Yeah. Look at how he used, like, Leonard Floyd. He knows how to use player and utilize skill sets. And what you said about C.J. Henderson hitting the gap, Chris, my God. It's it's you literally you can't turn your head because you, you see C.J. Henderson like you see him. And the thing is, Chris. Everybody in the stadium sees C.J. Henderson, except for the offensive line and the quarterback. (laughs) Because, you know, he just – it's fundamental. He hits the gap. Like you say, the A or the B gap. For the most part, sometimes, Chris, he can hit that A gap harder than the B gap. But but for the most part, Chris, I think that if if C.J. Henderson falls there, if you're John Elway, don't be a dope, draft him. Because I think I think the ceiling for C.J. Henderson is about here, if he to fall. But for me, I made that trade, so I have Cleveland here. Cleveland can go one or two ways. I think Cleveland could trade down again, or they draft. I think Cleveland stays because I think the offensive linemen they want, they could potentially get somewhere down the road. I think they go defense. And I think if you think about it, Chris, we really didn't talk about Cleveland's defense that much on the podcast during the season. We were talking about, oh, you know, OBJ, Baker, you know, we, you know, we didn't really talk about their defense, which, you know, which was pretty good under Greg Williams. And then Greg Williams left and you saw what happened. Yeah. But, so I think they go defense. I think they get a linebacker, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. I think that they start to get a they get a line back, back in court because Joe Schobert is not the answer. <laughs> he ain't the answer. And folks, if you don't know who he is, that's about nine percent of the league. So no, but so I think you get Kenneth Murray. I think you can slot him in. I think Chris they could easily move down if they find a trading partner, but I can't see a viable trading partner. I think they you know kind of like similar to San Francisco, where they just get who they feel the best player on the board is. And and I think here they go with Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. Now on and on on my board on sixteen I have Arizona, I have Arizona, but on your big board it's the Atlanta Falcons. So folks, I've been listening the whole time Chris been talking, but now I'm going to listen even more. <laughs> so so who do you have the Dirty Birds going at sixteen? All right, so like you said, number sixteen. Um, I got my, I got your Falcons there. I think that they make that defensive move, like you were talking about. They go after Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle from South Carolina. He's big, he's burly, he's fast, 
and he's an SEC defensive player, which means that he hits hard and he's aggressive. Uh, again, I think I think all of the defense revolves around that tackle position. Um, he's the one that's that's pushing the offensive line back to either create a hole for a linebacker or a safety to drop into, or he's just bowling over a, a, a lineman and getting to the quarterback and and making him his bitch. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, I think, could do both. I think he will fit that scheme for Atlanta. Uh, and I think that he brings something to the table that I don't think you guys have had defensively on that front, and that's energy. Yeah. No, listen, I'm not going to argue down. That's why I said they hadn't made a move. I hadn't made that move earlier to go get defense because they need they need to make a type trade they did to get Julio Jones. And we saw how that worked out. So here I have the Arizona Cardinals here. And I think Arizona keeps their pick. I think they go to LSU. They get Kavon Chazon. Because to me, he's a fascinating player in regards to that. He may not be a Chase Young. He may not be an Isaiah Simmons. But my critiques about LSU was not their front seven. It was the secondary, if you recall. Yep. I didn't I didn't criticize their front seven. I was critical of, of the back end. But, you know, Chazon, I think, gives Arizona the option if Chandler Jones wants to leave next season. Because, remember, they're paying him a lot of money. And and I think the reality is, is that Chazon could be kind of like that, could kind of be like that replacement, could kind of be that heir to the Arizona defensive line throw there. So I have, you know, Kalavon Chazon. Well, a lot of these names. Yeah, they got some wild ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I got buy more. I got buy another dictionary. But moving forward, what we have the doubt. A couple of interesting teams here from seventeen. Well, on my board, from seventeen to twenty-one: Dallas, Miami. We got the Raiders again, Jacksonville, and Philly. So let's start with Dallas Cowboys at seventeen. Who do you have? So I actually got your boy uh, that we just discussed from LSU, that defensive. And edge rusher, uh, Caleb Von Chazen, uh, going to Dallas. It, it makes sense. It, they need that edge. Dallas is one of those teams, as much as it aggravates me, they're there. And they can't be forgotten about. Um, they just need a few good pieces to make them great. And I, I think that Caleb Von would be that that good piece. Um do you, again that line the 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 ends and the tackles nose tackles you know those are the guys that get defenses pumped and I think that's where uh, that's where they go and uh, you know I like that I like that have a pick a I have a little pick a yeah pick ahead Dallas I think needs secondary help I went with the best corner on the board AJ Terrell from Clemson. I think that once again he he may not be an Okuda or a Henderson, but that next best deep, option. The next best option, I think, Vent, you know, Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator over at Clemson. Listen, producing talent there, and and without question, I think that Dallas needs secondary and they need a tight end, and ain't no tight end worth a first round value. I'm letting you know now. They're, they're, so unless they make a trade to get OJ Howard. 
I think they go with the secondary there at 17. So here we are with the Miami Dolphins again with that trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers at 18. So who do you have the Miami Dolphins taking? So Miami Dolphins, I got uh, them taking offensive tackle from Houston, Josh Jones. Whether they stick with Fitzmagic, whether they turn over to Tua or Herbert or whoever they may draft, protection is paramount. I think, honestly, I think that might be my slogan for this season. Protection is paramount. So we might have to coin that. Yeah. Um, but I think that they're going to take that pick from uh, from the Steel City and use it and invest it wisely and uh, pick up Josh Jones. He's a big boy, 6'5", 319. Um, he can he can plug some holes when you need him to or move and create some and part in like the Red Sea to push a, a running back through. You know, that, that's, that's a good pick. I also have an offensive lineman going to Miami. Uh, you know, Tristan Wirfs, I think somebody has to fall in this draft. As we know, some players fall. And it's not their fault because it goes because of need, yep. but, you know, commodity and necessity. I think Tristan Wirfs falls not because he's a terrible player. I think Tristan Wirfs goes to a Miami situation, and you described him perfectly early on. And all that I'll, I'll add is that, you could probably plug him in and he'll start week one. I think that, you know, what Brian Flores and what they're doing down in Miami is that in with their picks that they're letting you know they're investing in protection. Like you say, protection. I'm not going to steal your phrase. Protection is paramount. Because the key to me, mine is simply need it. You better, it's better to need it. And you don't have it. If you have it and you don't need it, they need it. No. So, folks. Even in Miami, you feel may not need one. It doesn't hurt to have it. So here we are moving along, number 19 for the Las Vegas Raiders. Who do you have? So for Raider Nation, I think that they uh, make a move and they go to the opposite side of the ball and go defense. They get uh, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. I think you spoke on him. That inside-outside linebacker, he could play anywhere in that linebacker core. He's big, he's fast, he's tough. Um, that would be ideal for the Raiders. Um, again, they're one of those teams, they're not terrible, but it just seems that every other team seems to score more than them. So a good way to prevent that is to put some people on the side of the ball that prevents other teams from scoring. So I see uh, Kenneth Murray, again, not that he's bad, or, or it's like you said, it's based off necessity. So I think he'll go at number uh, number 19 to the Raiders. Yeah, that's I, I also stay defense. I think they go corner. I think they, get, they go to Jeff Gladney from TCU. I think that we look at the Raiders, once again, the problem, they couldn't stop anybody. And to me, secondary, listen, if you look at their draft last year, they addressed some of the secondary needs, but... Like I say, corner is so deep. It's like receiver. It's super deep. So get one of those guys, and you get great value for Gladney there as well. John Gruden, listen, I'm not giving him credit yet. I give it to Mike Mayock, the general manager. I think defensively, I think go get Jeff Gladney, shore up that secondary at number 19. Number 20, back with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I believe they had the pick from the, the Rams in that Jalen Ramsey deal. Yep. So who do you have Jacksonville going with at number 20? 
So, again, we're going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I see Jacksonville picking up uh, Yeter Gross Matos. And if I butchered that, I do apologize. He was their uh, defensive end edge rusher from uh, Penn State. He's a little on the smaller side, uh, or excuse me, a little on the bigger side for a uh, uh, an edge rusher. He's 6'5", you know, 266 pounds. That's a big boy to be playing on the edge, but he's agile and he's fast. And again, Jacksonville needs all the help they can get on that side of the ball. I, I think that was proven this season. Yeah, you know, no doubt about it there. And I went offense. And, you know, because I went, I went with Derrick Brown at their ninth pick. So I went with Austin Jackson from USC. You know, USC, USC has produced some pretty good offensive linemen. You know, probably they produced probably one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time, Anthony Munoz. Yeah. So, you know, they have a track record. I think Austin Jackson gives Jacksonville another day one start because Gardner Minshew, like I said, you're not wearing jean shorts out there, folks. So Gardner Minshew, if they're serious, if they're seriously committed to Gardner Minshew, Chris, they got to do everything in the in the world because jobs are on the line. Jobs are on the line. I think that if Gardner Minshew's their guy, they got to go offensive line. So I had them going Austin Jackson 20. So here we go. Up in, up in your neck of the woods, as Al Roker would say, the Philadelphia Eagles at 21. So so the the old Eagles up here, uh, the, old, the old green nation, these boys are psychos. Uh, but <laughs> I think that they're going to add to the offensive side. They're going to go with Justin Jefferson from LSU at, uh, at pick number 21. Um, they, they need more weapons on offense. Um, give someone Carson wants to, uh, you know, some more people to kind of shove the ball around to. Uh, he, he fits the style. Uh, you know, Philly can play that, that fast-paced offense like LSU did. Um, and Wentz can be a, a, a mobile quarterback when he needs to, when he's not on the sideline getting his knee repaired. Um, so I think he'll be a good fit for, uh, for the Eagles at that point. And you know what, Chris? As the old adage goes, great minds think alike. I also have Justin Jefferson going here. Okay. And this, in all honesty, this is one of the sure picks that I had, because I, you know, you explained beautifully how the Eagles play. Justin Jefferson. Listen, let's face the facts, Chris. And and I hate to bring this up to Cowboy fans, but if I didn't, I feel I'd be doing an injustice. Remember the last game of the, I think the last game of the season when these two, when the Eagles and the uh, Cowboys played. For the record, yes. Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz didn't have – I believe he didn't have Alshon Jeffrey. He didn't have Greg Lewis. I don't think they had their top two, three receivers in that game. And then Zach Ertz went out later in that game. But yeah, they were they were just all over uh, all over the place that game. They, 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 did not, they did not do well. And, and for the record, the Eagles still won that game. So Cowboy fans – that's why Jason Garrett is somewhere in New York, quarantined, looking at like, looking at all the game film he can. So, or just probably reflecting upon life, you know, probably you know talking to Jerry Jones. <laughs> little, little bit of both, little bit of both. So I think Justin Jefferson makes sense. I think that he, I think he's the best receiver available. They need they need talent on the outside. So now we go to the Minnesota Vikings here at 22. I think a lot of options here given their offseason. 
But who do you have going? Who do you have going to the uh, the purple people eaters there? So the purple people eaters they acquired this pick from Buffalo. Um, I think that they're gonna start rebuilding defensively, and uh, they're gonna go after AJ Terrell from uh, Clemson at corner. Again, he's a good corner, uh, but he's not at that that CJ Henderson you know stat level. Uh, he played well when he was in uh, in Clemson, but I, I don't think that, uh, you know, again, he's he's at that super elite level, but still going, you know, a first-round pick. You're still pretty damn good. Uh, Minnesota needs aggressive uh, DBs, aggressive secondaries. I think that's one of the things they did lack last season. They had a great line, great linebacker core. And of course, offensively, they they you know you you've got all sorts of tools and 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 weapons there. But so I, I think that the, they'll still go after Terrell, and I think he'll fit into that program rather well. You know, I, I agree. I think they do go corner. I think they go Jalen Jefferson out of Utah. You know, Mike Zimmer. I think they lost three corners this offseason. I think that. You once again the philosophy of commodity necessity. I think that they do go. Listen, Jalen Jefferson, Jalen Johnson, excuse me, gives them. I'm not going to say he's going to start day one, but that gives them value at corner, and you and it doesn't hurt to have good corners or for that matter any. If you can pick him up here, like you said, like you just said, if you're a first round pick, that means you're pretty good. So I like I like Jalen Johnson there defensively for the Minnesota Vikings. And at 23, your favorite team, which yeah. which which I think you know, if you hear this paper crumbling, you know, I'm just reading through your all your, you know, Tom Brady love notes here. Yeah. And so so at 23 we have the New England Patriots. So there's a huge vacancy that's hasn't been empty in a long time, uh, and that's the quarterback position. Uh, New England, uh, more so Tom Brady. Uh, like, uh, like I said when we when we talked about Jimmy G going to the Niners, I think there was more to that than than meets the eye. Uh, Tom Brady rules the roost, or he did rule the roost in New England. Uh, anything he didn't like, he went to Robert Kraft on. And if you don't like what Mom tells you, you can go to Dad or vice versa, and you're going to get the answer you want. I think that's why Jimmy G disappeared. I think Brady started to feel threatened. Uh, I partially think that with Jacoby Brissett, you got two guys that are now successful in their own organizations and new England without a quarterback. I think they go after what's left on the board. They go for Jordan love from Utah state. Um, he's something, something's better than nothing. I don't think he'll be a long-term solution, but it's there. That's that's about the best. I haven't seen a lot of film on on Love. I know he's not terrible, and I know we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think we even put him on our our top five QB board at number five, going into the draft uh, a few weeks ago. But uh, I, I don't I don't think he's going to start. I think that uh, we're going to see someone else possibly step into New England uh, in a starting position, put him on the bench, let him get some uh, get some age under him, and then go from there. You know, I think that for this position for New England, I think it's very weird because they haven't really drafted. They have, they haven't had to worry about this quarter position for 20 years. Not a lot of teams can say that. Uh, 
And but I do, but I I go back and double down on what I said a while back. I don't think New England drafts a quarterback. Really? I just don't, because it's not in Bill Belichick's mantra. Bill Belichick is about value. Bill Belichick is about maximizing. It's about maximization with the minimum, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Because uh, t- Tom Brady was a six-round pick. He had to pay Tom, but he had, he had to pay Tom Brady. So he's about getting the max with the minimum. I think he trades this pick to a team that I think makes a lot of sense. I think he, I think this team trades up. The Green Bay Packers trade up, and they draft Jordan Love. Wow. Okay. I I think that I think Green Bay is in love. They're in love with Jordan Love. I think that and and Aaron Rodgers made it clear he doesn't care if they start a first round. So he's not going to feel threatened because he knows he's going to be the starter in week one. But he also understands he's 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 closer to forty than he is thirty. He also understands that concept. So. I think the one thing about Jordan Love that I think hurt his stock was the fact that his his last season was his greatest season and a lot of a couple of off the field stuff. And if you're a quarterback, you can't have off the field stuff because your value drops, I think, quicker in my eyes. It's not like if a receiver had the same kind of track record as Jordan Love, like Randy Moss. If we remember Randy Moss had off the field stuff and he fell to Minnesota like at 22, mm-hmm. which is insane if you look at who got drafted ahead of him. But the point is, Jordan Love is in that boat, and I think that Green Bay, looking at needs, because once again, they need a receiver, Chris, but like I think we talked about, it's so deep at receiver. It's very deep, where you don't have to go out and reach for a receiver, because a lot of teams screw themselves by reaching for players, you know, the best player and not the best player on the board. Yep. Go, so I think they reach for the best player at the position, and I think that's not always the best move. And I think here, traded, New England loves picks. They got picks. So New England's the only organization that I know that got picks for a guy who was supposed to be retired. So <laughs> so don't ask me how they pulled that off. But chugging along, number 24, the New Orleans Saints. So uh, from the Saints come marching into the draft, uh, I think defense is a position uh, where they need to build on. Again, they got a great defense, but uh, more never hurts. Uh, I think that the Saints pick up Patrick Queen from LSU. He stays in town, goes a couple miles down the road from uh, from Baton Rouge, Sonola. He's an inside linebacker with a lot of speed. He's not the biggest linebacker, but again. We've seen what he can do. He's got hands, and he can hit, and he's football smart. He can read an offense, and he can he can adjust as needed. And I think that's a very important thing to do as a linebacker is you got to be able to have the sense to understand audibles. And if you start seeing the offensive line shifting, you start seeing tight ends and wideouts and people moving. Eh, you got to be able to know how to how to counter that. And and I think he has that uh, that capability. So I think Patrick Queen will go into uh, Nola. And you know what? No argument here. I also I have the same thing for the same reasons. I think that also I think Green Bay also made that trade because I think Jordan Love was a possibility for them there as well. Because because given that Drew Brees is halfway out the door 
and Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater is gone, I don't think Taysom Hill doesn't look to be the heir. I don't think I get those type of vibes. So I think here they just say we're not going to reach for a quarterback. I think they're going to go with Patrick Queen, like you say. I think that that LSU deep is, once again, part of the front seven. I think – look how many LSU players we've talked about so far. That's how yeah, there's, there's a lot of LSU players getting drafted this year. That 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 is for damn sure. And it goes to show you that how talented they are on both sides of the ball. That's yep. important. On both sides of the ball. But, you know, LeVon, Jason, now Patrick Queen – they just very talented. I think New Orleans gets the hometown product. You see how that works out there. And also here at 25, again, we have the Minnesota Vikings. Here at 25. So who do you have going to the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, they're going to have to replace uh, at the wideout position. So, of course, you know, Stephon Diggs pieced out of there. Um, so I think they're going to pick up Denzel Mims from Baylor. He's tall. He's 6'2", got a little bit of weight on him, so he can go up there and body the ball out if he needs to. Uh, he's also got some speed on him, too. Uh, so I, I think he's going to fit that scheme. I don't think he's going to replace Stephon Diggs, mm-hmm. but I think he's still an option there. But that's when you're going to see some different schemes. I, I think you'll, Adam Thielen is definitely going to be in the in the driver's seat 100% now. But it gives time for Mims to learn routes and timing and all the other important things needed to succeed with a quarterback like uh uh like your favorite boy <laughs> that guy what whose name should not be kirk oh, kissing Kiss cousins kirk kissing cousins folks he may not be from the south but i'm sure up north there's kissing cousins but anyway maybe in pockets but you know i have minnesota here i debated with the receiver here too but i said well I think they're going to get the best defensive player on the board, defensive line player. I think Javon Kinlaw, to me, falls because of what I said earlier, necessity. I think that Javon Kinlaw, and you described him once again very well, I think losing Everson Griffin, even though he may come back, that defense, it wouldn't hurt. I think when we look at Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer looks at this draft and understands that receiver is very deep. You can probably get a day one starter in round two. So Javon Kinlaw may not make it out of the first round. So you you draft that defensive line and shore it up because it doesn't hurt to have great – it does it never hurts to stockpile. It never hurts. So I have that going there at number 25. Number 26, the Miami Dolphins are there again. And at 26, who do you have going to Miami? So Miami, they, of course, acquired this pick from the Houston Texans. Um, Again, they're going to build that backside of the ball in the defense. They're going to go after, I think, Xavier McKinney from Alabama, that safety. Very aggressive, um, a position that Miami lacks in, um, in, and I, I think that he would be ideal for this position for Miami's defensive scheme. Um, and just to continue that, that defensive build, I think that's where Miami, I mean, actually not having a quarterback, uh, is a huge problem because they're not putting points on the board. I truly think that also Miami tried really hard last year to tank and it backfired on them. Um, Mm -hmm. but they also got a bunch of picks out of it. So I guess good on them. Um, but they're going to continue to build that defense and then slowly shift over to offense. So Xavier McKinney from Alabama. Yeah, I, I, I like that pick. I, I, I really do. So, number 26, 
interesting position here. I I also this this was tough because this is a position where they could probably get a receiver or they could go get a secondary because remember they you know Mika Fitzpatrick. So along your logic, I think they draft a replacement in Xavier McKinney. I think it makes sense because he's the best safety on the board, obviously, and they got to replace Mika Fitzpatrick. I think now Miami's addressing the defense now. I think they understand that now they get a lot of defensive value now as the draft progresses and even receiver value. So I like that move there at 26. And we are here at 27 with the Seattle Seahawks. And who you have Seattle going with? Uh, all right, so – one one area where Seattle needs to improve is to get back into the Legion of Boom. Uh, their defense has been kind of slacking, and I think it's showed. So I think they add a defensive weapon. Uh, A.J. Epinesa, defensive end from Iowa. Again, he's a big boy for a D.N., 6'5", 275. He is large, in charge, and quick on the ball. Um, I think he'll be a good fit for that overly aggressive Seattle defense that's been lacking. Uh, you know, uh, he, he fits the mold, uh, I think for what Seattle needs. I mean, there's really not too much I can jump on it. Uh, but I think that he will fit the mold for it. I, I agree. I, I also toyed around with going secondary here, but I have a trade. Hmm. And because I look, I think Seattle, John Schneider, Pete Carey, they look at the board. And they look at a guy like A.J. Espinosa. They look at Yurder Gross. I think they feel that they drop. So I feel that they trade with the team that we've talked about, we haven't talked about in a while. I think the Detroit Lions pick up the phone and make a trade. And this may sound completely out of left field, but we've seen left field things in this draft before. I think they trade back in and they get Jalen Hurts. From Oklahoma, I there's a part of me that believes in this because I just they're not going to tell you, Chris, the health of Matt Stafford. I feel when you look at the board, no Burrow, no Tua, no Herbert, no Love. It's got to be, it's got to be Jalen. That's Herbert. ballsy. That is ballsy. Because I think they fear that Jalen Hurts may not make it in the early second round because Washington, no, excuse me, Indianapolis is picking second and the one of the early picks in the second round. And Indy may get a quarterback because Phillip Rivers is 100 years old. So they may try to get value at that position. I think because Seattle, once again, Seattle gets picks. Because remember, Detroit got those picks, remember, in that trade they made earlier. If you think about with the trade scenarios we talked about, so they get quality picks down the road so they can maybe sacrifice maybe their second, maybe a fourth to trade back in because we're in the back end of the first round. I think they trade back in simply because I think they do it out of it's borderline commodity, borderline necessity. Because on one hand, they don't need a quarterback. On the other hand, let's face it, Matt Stafford's injury may be more severe than what we think it is. And I don't think you take that chance. You get Jalen Hurts. You don't have to start on week one. So I think that's the ball. I think it's ballsy, but I think it's logical because you see a lot of left field stuff. I don't think this is left field. I think that's the front office saying we're worried about Matt Stafford. So 
That one is, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm speechless on that one, man. You, you got me on that one. That, that I think is the curveball of, of this entire podcast right there. So congratulations. <laughs> because I think, cause remember Baltimore traded back in to get, uh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So if an organization feels they need a quarterback, because it's the same situation, aging quarterback, health health history, question. The only difference is how they were paid. That's the only difference. And they were both paid a lot of money, but the difference is he, bigger is that the amount of money they were paying, the longevity of that money. Joe Flacco was halfway out regardless. Matthew Stafford may be the quarterback for the next two years. But as the money goes down, you can possibly see them moving him and getting value. So moving along, no, no big trade news there, folks. Uh, number 28, we have the aforementioned Baltimore Ravens. So for the Baltimore Ravens, I think that, of course, they keep their pick. No no crazy Ladarius trickery here. <laughs> uh, they keep their pick, and they go with Brandon Ayek from Arizona State. Um. It's just another tool for Lamar Jackson in in his uh, in his gargantuan toolbox because we already know if he can't throw it he'll just run it and he'd do a really damn good job at that. But adding another weapon for him to throw at definitely doesn't hurt a mobile quarterback like uh, like Lamar. Uh, also on a very quick sidebar, so uh, there's another very famous Arizona State player that I would like to bring up real quick and do you happen to know who that might be? Uh, you talking about Pat Tillman? Yes, sir. I'm talking about Pat Tillman. So, uh, today is actually the 16th anniversary of Pat Tillman's passing. So, uh, for you, any of you that don't happen to know, uh, so Pat Tillman did probably one of the most ballsiest and patriotic things that somebody could do. And he gave up his life of ease and success and wealth and awesomeness from you know being a professional football player and enlisted in the united states army uh with actually his brother uh very post 9 11 they enlisted in 2002 uh in june uh upon entering the army of course he went to army recruit training and then went to ranger school to became to become a army ranger which uh, those are some badass dudes, man. Those are the guys that you pretend to play on and Call of Duty and, and Battlefield and shit like that. Um, unfortunately, Pat Tillman was uh, killed in a friendly fire incident by other uh, coalition U.S. forces. Um, but he was posthumously uh, promoted to the rank of corporal, also granted the Silver Star and the Purple Heart. Uh, so in your prayers tonight or, you know, whatever you might take into, say a quick one for Pat. Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of athletes that claim patriotism and that they care and this, that and the other thing. But uh, that's a very patriotic thing to do, to literally give up a life of wealth when you're making millions and millions of dollars a year to enlist in, in the United States Armed Forces. And at the time. Even he, so he got out as an E4, uh, enlisted pay grade four. So you're not very high on on the leadership scale, or in the bankroll department either. He was probably making, if he was lucky, thirty to thirty five thousand, 
while willingly put his life on the line against uh, very deep embedded Al Qaeda forces into uh, uh, into Afghanistan. Of course, at the height of the post 9/11 war. So, uh, shout out to Tillman. Not to go off subject, but uh, you know, I saw that come across the news today, and I think that's a, uh, a an NFL player that I don't think we should ever forget. And also that quick scene of him in the Super Bowl commercial with that bunchy kid when he was running around to all 32. That that was a very, very fucking touching uh, five seconds in that commercial. But uh, so shout out to that. But so we'll we'll continue on track. And, you know, I think well said, I, I think that if people like I say, a lot of generations, you know, generation after, you know, before us know him we know him but the generation after us may not i think that what he did he did a lot of he walked the walk and he talked the talk and i think that and i think that no matter what side of the spectrum we are politically i think what he did he gave his life for his country and that's something that many of us should never all of us should never forget because how do you is the, the quote i can't quite remember you know, I think Winston Churchill said we owe so much to so few. Yeah. And and I think Pat Tillman is definitely one of those. So thank you for that shout out and that call out there for Pat Tillman. And and as we move along to 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 Baltimore, I think Baltimore they react to the re, the sudden retired Marshall Yonda, their all pro guard. I think they go to they go get Cesar Ruiz. Cesar Ruiz can play he can play both positions. He can play center or guard. But I think that the question here, this is interesting. This could be a potential spot for Jonathan Taylor, the running back. But I think that Marshall Yonder retiring to to shore up and to continue to protect him. I think get Cesar Ruiz from Michigan. Probably one of the probably the only time Michigan probably will be mentioned in this episode. And we're almost done with the episode. So think about that, Jim Harbaugh. So Something to think about, Jim. Something to think about. So now, moving along, 29, the Tennessee Titans. Who do you have going there? So they're going to continue that offensive push to build uh, around Tannehill. They're going to go with Austin Jackson at a USC offensive tackle. Um, again, another another gun-safe refrigerator-sized human being that is going to be very hard to move and very easy to move others. Um, I think this will just be... A, a a huge huge pickup for for Tennessee. Um, anything offensively to help protect a quarterback and create holes for Henry is ideal. So uh, Austin Jackson, USC. And here I I have them going defense because receiver was I thought of Brendan Ayuk, I thought of Michael Pittman Jr. I thought of you know, but I think. Trevon Diggs makes sense because the one thing about Tennessee is that Tennessee's mentality is is defense, of course with Mike Vrabel. But I think if they do get a receiver, it'd be it'd be one of those guys. But it's just something about I don't think Mike Vrabel passes up defense because outside of Malcolm Butler, who's their second corner, and I think that's a legit question because they're in a division now. Where listen, they may by proxy the defense looks a lot better, but I think that Mike Vrabel is not going to pass up a corner because I feel he can get a receiver later in the draft. 
And here we are. Well, on my board, maybe on your board, on my board, I have New England 30. You, you, I think you have Green Bay there. So who do you have Green Bay picking up at 30? So I got Green Bay still on the board at numero 30. Uh, I got them going after T. Higgins from Clemson. Um, again, they're going to need a wide out to, uh, to, for, for Aaron Rodgers to throw to. I think he fits the mold. 6'3", 216. He's a big boy. Uh, I think that he'll, he will succeed and that he'll, uh, he'll, he'll prosper in, uh, in Packer land. I like that move, but as we know, I pulled a I pulled a master plus a masterful trade. I have New England here, and once again, New England. I don't think New England they if they do draft somebody here, and I think they will, because Bill Belichick's not going to move all over the board unless the team's willing to trade back up. I think Michael Pittman Jr. from USC, and this is this is not to say that T Higgins isn't better. But I think that given Bill Belichick's belief in tall receivers, you know, I think that, you know, if you look at their roster, you know, Muhammad Sanu, you know, and I can't recall who they draft. I think they drafted a first-round receiver previously. I think that, once again, I don't think they go quarterback. I think they try to protect who I think should start Jared Stenham. And I think they kind of build from there. And here we are, two more to go. 31, we have Super Bowl runner-up, the San Francisco 49ers. So for the 49ers, I got them building around uh, the defensive side. Uh, they're going to go after the tack- defensive tackle from TCU, Ross Blacklock. Uh, he's a big boy, same thing. Um, it's been my theme, I think, is just is building defenses this uh, this draft, building the line. They're the first point of contact. Um, I think San Francisco could use it. Um, I think that going into this coming season, uh, Kansas City exploited a lot of their weaknesses. But then again, it's Kansas City. So I I don't know if it was just weakness exploitation or when you're playing a team with all of your creative players, but then you make your friend play with just a regular team. <laughs> I mean, because the the way that Patrick Mahomes plays and Tyree Kill plays and Travis Kelsey plays, it's like you 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 go into the the menu and and you get on your favorite team, and you just create players and you just jack all their stats up to ninety nine, and then you win like fifteen Super Bowls in a row by the time the next Madden comes out, and then you just and you do you you be an asshole and do it again, and I think that's where 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 KC is at, but I think uh, San Fran they they build a, they they build that defense up. They get Blacklock. Uh, I I haven't seen too much film on him. I I did see a little bit of it. Um, he likes to penetrate and he likes to bowl over linemen. So it's going to be uh, it, it, I think he'll be a good fit for San Fran. You know I I like that move. I do think San Francisco. I think they continue to build on. I think they continue to focus on kind of, you know, not say problem areas, but, you know, sure thing. I think this is where I think they kind of, I'm not going to say this is the complete replacement for DeForest Buckner, but I think they go after A.J. Sponza from Iowa. Okay. I think I think he's slightly better than Gross Moss from Penn State. I think that given the way Iowa plays, and I think that makes a difference, to me, I think Kurt Ferentz has a track record of guys in the trenches. I think AJ Esponza gives them. I'm not gonna say he's gonna be as explosive as DeForest Buckner, 
but I think John Lynch knows defense because he's the Hall of, you know, I trust him over John Elway yes. running a front office. So, so I think he goes after and gets value there at 31. And here we are, we wrap up with number 32, the defending champs, the Kansas City Chiefs. Last but not least, uh, Kansas goes after and starts building uh, more on the offense just because, you know, they just need more people. They pick up DeAndre Swift from Georgia. Running. Mm. He's short, he's stocky, and he's a bowling ball. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's got some speed on him. Oh, yeah. He may not be Tyreek Hill fast, but he is, I can create a lot of confusion running an RPO and throwing the ball 15 different ways, but then handing it off fast. Um, I think that they will pick him up and they will run him wild. And I think that, I, I think that could be the missing piece for them going into a perfect season. You know, as scary as that sounds. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super scary to, to believe that, but it's, it's a distinct possibility. At number 32, I think Andy Reid, my buffet friend Andy Reid, I think goes one of two ways. I think he goes and tries to figure out some kind of way defensively, or I think he goes after the offense, but I think on the edge. Because I think this goes out of fear of Sammy Watkins maybe not coming. Because listen, I think Kansas City's cap, I think like 100 bucks left. So... A GoFundMe page wouldn't have the realm of possibility. But, or take out, or you know, get one of those loans they're handing out now. So, I have them going with T. Higgins. I think that, I said, people think about this Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, T. Higgins. Name, name a core. Name a team right now that has the secondary to stop those guys. And I'm going to sit very quietly. <laughs> <laughs> because I think Andy Reid looks at his board and goes, you know what? He knows how to draft. Andy Reid's been there, done that. I think he knows he can get value in defense. Like I say, your two girls' mods could be an option here. Kristen Fulton LSU is an option. You know, Grant Delpit could be an option. But I think if T. Higgins is still on the board, and I think that I could argue that if Michael Pittman Jr., I think a receiver gets drafted here because you don't know, because the receiver class may not be that deep next year. So I think it's one of those things that, listen, you have it, you don't need it. It's better than needing it and you don't have it. I think I should I should get that coin too because, because it goes back to commodity necessity. So, so there it is, folks. All 32 picks. The episode's long, but I hope you appreciate it. I'll divvy it up an hour each. You know, but it's well worth a good content. And and hopefully we got some of the. I think I can fairly safely say we probably got maybe some of the first top 10 picks right. Maybe not in the order, but I think I can feel anything after that, it's dealer's choice. But. But I think, you know, I think so. Thank you all for listening for the for this NFL draft preview. And if anything else, Chris, you have to say to wrap up. Nah, I mean, I think that uh, 
I think we hit the hammer on the head. Hopefully we're right. More than likely we're probably wrong. That's just how the world turns. Um, overall, uh, you know, good luck to all these kids. I hope they get drafted of where they want to go and they make uh, millions and millions of dollars and they're happy. Um, other than that, enjoy the quarantine. Try to make the best of it you can. Don't be an asshole. Don't go outside if you don't have to. Don't go fucking parading in the streets. Waving AR-15s, demanding your freedom. You're not being held hostage. It's basic fucking science and health. Just don't cough on people. Wash your hands. Don't lick each other's buttholes. And uh, tune in Sunday night for episodes three and four of The Last Dance about the, the final run of the Chicago Bulls. If you didn't watch episodes one and two, download the ESPN Plus app on whatever smart device, tablet, TV, whatever you got. Watch stream and watch episodes one and two. Holy shit, man. Uh, that was just was phenomenal. Yeah. Other than that, that's that's my word. Watch documentaries. Hang out. Keep yourself low key. Don't be a dick and try not to get sick. Well, I would like to top that, folks. That's I mean, as fatherly advice, it's kind of like for, if Mark Wahlberg gave family advice. <laughs> so like that's that's the way I picture it. Like you don't see his kids arrested. So. Think about that. So, well, thank you guys once again for listening. And until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, and be safe from us here at Sports and the World. See ya!